From the Not A Foodie studio in beautiful Greenpoint, Brooklyn, it's the Not A Foodie show! Hey, I'm Tom. It's Mike. That was your best one, because you said it high, but like at an octave that you can maintain. Really? Yeah. I'm the Not A Foodie show! No, no, that was no, no, no. awful, but <laughs> right before so that was very good. This is your weekly radio show slash podcast that's about um, my voice modulation, apparently. No, about food and food culture. If I won't be your critic, who will? Yes. <laughs> Mike is my best critic, that's why this show um, is so great <laughs> I, I am i, I am tommy alley and across from me is mike moranti hey mike i uh, text tom every night then every week the night before and i'm just like get your voice ready get ready hit and, those notes yes and i i don't know i don't know what you're supposed to do get i have my herbal tea with honey the night before so that you can hear <laughs> these dulcet tones coming out of my voice mike yes what, sir what's going on um scientists find genetic reasons why store-bought tomatoes taste so bland Really? Yeah. Wait, this is this is food news. It's food news. <laughs> yeah. I got you. You did. You, yeah. you went right into the food news uh-huh. without doing the food news jingle. The food <laughs> news dance. Um, so what read that headline again? Scientists find genetic reason why store-bought tomatoes taste so bland. Well, I the reason that I find is because people mostly buy tomatoes when they're out of season. And that's why they're so bland. But what do, what do scientists have to say about this? Um Scientists have discovered a version of a gene that helps give tomatoes their flavors actually missing in about 93% of modern domesticated varieties. Really? Yeah. Wow. So 93 out of 100 tomatoes are missing the thing that makes tomatoes taste tomatoey. That's, do they say how that happened? Like, is it just from years of, you know, really bad inbreeding or whatever? Um... Or more importantly, have they figured out a way to like get yeah. the taste back? Uh-huh. Shout out to GMOs. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, the side-by-side comparison showed that the Heinz 1706 reference genome was missing nearly 5,000 genes that the other tomato varieties have. Okay. So there's a whole bunch of genes that are missing, and I wonder how that happened. I Pro- guess from it's probably from, from trying in the quest to, to make things yeah. that you can just do year-round. Well, and, and that's that's a that's a huge problem, right? Like you're breeding. Oh, here we go. Tomatoes lost these genes through good old-fashioned breeding, not via genetic modifications. Yeah. When breeders selected traits that made tomatoes robust. I was going to say, like, people are concentrated on getting, you know, as a big-looking tomato, like a big plump mm-hmm. tomato. It's the same thing that, that happens with, like, chicken. Like, chickens are bred and injected full of hormones and are made this way to have these gigantic breasts because that's what people want. Is big breasts. Big breasts. Yes. Yes. Sex cells. Oh, snicker, snicker. <laughs> but how much better is my Pomodoro sauce going to taste when they figure this out? Oh, it's, I mean, well, the easiest way to make sure that your Pomodoro sauce tastes great is to grow your own tomatoes and make sure that you use the, very, the right kind of tomatoes. Yes, okay, sure. Instead of, you know, crazy, you know, factory farmed uh, store-bought tomatoes. I bought organic Roma tomatoes from Trader Joe's. It was delicious. It was a great sauce. All right. When did you make that sauce? It was like two, two weeks, weeks ago. ago? Two yeah. weeks ago. Go listen to uh, our episode from two weeks ago and listen to Mike make a Pomodoro sauce. Can, well, I, can I tell you what I had for brunch yesterday, which was really just my first meal that I ate at 12 o'clock? Sure. Carbonara. 
Oh, did you? I I, I just, made myself a carbonara for lunch like the other day. My roommate had bacon that was like going to go bad, and I had eggs, and I have pecorino and uh, parmesan in my yeah. fridge, and I just. <laughs> I mean, made just it. honestly, just for the hell of it, the other day I did the same thing. I was like, "Look, I have the ingredients. I made um well, I didn't have guanciale, so I made sort of this combination cacio e pepe slash carbonara. Like I didn't, you know, it it had egg in it, but it was not cacio e pepe. Yeah. Anyway. So there's there's food news. You got any any other food news? Oh uh, yeah, there's more like real estate news. Oh uh, okay. Okay. How do you make a small fortune in Napa? In Napa? In Napa. I uh, sell pints of blood. I mean, you I don't start know. with a large fortune and you buy a vineyard. <laughs> okay. So um a company not a company, a couple they wanted they were lifelong winemakers, wine uh employees, worked in wine. So yeah. they they didn't own a vineyard before. No, they're they, wine, when you say winemakers, they worked for vineyards, for like Stags Leap and like big names, okay. yeah. Uh, and they wanted to buy a Napa, and they couldn't afford anything. Yeah, it's uh, crazy. I've talked to people that, that hold on. I've talked to people who like are millionaires and then decide that oh, like maybe we're gonna go buy a vineyard, and then they do the actual number crunching, and they're like, what? like that's crazy, that's ridiculous. Uh-huh. It makes no sense to buy in California right now. It's just so expensive. Yeah, and um, so they couldn't even afford a two bedroom fixer upper in Napa. Wow, like a two bedroom little fixer upper house with a winery. I or... I don't even think with a wine. I think just buying it. Okay. Just... So you know what they did? I have no idea. They bought a chateau in Bordeaux. <laughs> For under $500,000. Wow, you can't buy a two-bedroom house for under $500,000 in California. That makes absolute they, sense. They have a home with like 60-something acres of uh, vines that are like 60-something years old. Wow. And now they're just, they're making their Bordeaux blends and they're selling them in California for $16 and change. Wow. At the wine shops. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, oh, that's that's sad. It's but, such a sad state. So, that, Napa's or, very small. Yeah. And Bordeaux's massive. Because mm-hmm. there's the left bank and the right bank, and there's a eight in America we call them AVAs, American Viticultural, not Association. I don't know, but like the areas, maybe mm-hmm. it's area. And then in uh, France you have uh, AOC, okay, which is the same thing. It's just so like the Bordeaux. There's multiple Bordeaux AOCs. There's only one Napa AVA, like main AVA. Oh no, that's not true. But Napa itself just is very tiny, right? And like you can't get. They said in the article uh, last year, Napa Cabernets averaged at $79 a bottle. Wow. Yeah. It's, and it's because, well, I think it's, it's a number of different things. Number one, it's a smaller area. So, mm-hmm. you know, obviously real estate prices are higher. Number two, um, water is a, huge, is a huge expense for owning a vineyard. And with the droughts that California has been having, it's been the water prices are through the roof. Like it, I talked to somebody who was actually pricing out buying a vineyard. And they looked at like the water bills and compared to New York City, where New York City water is expensive, but not as expensive as I California. Mean, California can have some of this rain that we've been getting this <laughs> in New May, York. I know. Yeah. This May weather. We can switch with them for the <laughs> month. But it's so there's that, there's that, there's labor costs are higher. Like everything in California is is higher. And it, that's really that's really sad to me that you can't um, that there's not a way to protect that and make that, you know, really encourage winemaking in Napa. Like, it's such a high entry point. It's, it's a high barrier also, to entry. It's uh, also a lot of just billionaires, like multi-billion dollar wine companies, multi-billion dollar people are just buying up Napa as well. Yeah. So it, the article goes into it more. I'll put it up in the blog post. Uh, 
But yeah, so if you can't afford Napa, just move to France. Move to France. Wow. And they bought... Or move to Argentina or Chile or weird parts of Italy. <laughs> That's it. Greece, Spain. Yeah. Maybe not Spain so much, but... I have, um, I don't have any food news for you, but I have, um, I have something that I think that, you know what? I think we should take a break and I think that we should come back to this, um, this article that was published on Eater, which is 25 blistering food takes to set the internet on fire. Oh, so they just bit off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Off of the, what we talked about last week. So Wait, what's the good artists create great artists steal or something <laughs> like that? Like, no, this is, I mean, I, I'm not accusing them of steal. It's a, it's, it's an idea. It's, it is what it is. And obviously they saw the, the traction. You know that, what uh, this the is all is, Tom? This what? is just our first podcast. Yeah. Everyone just taking our first podcast being Tom just ripped things apart that we didn't like. <laughs> and now Serious Eats does it. And now Eater does it. And now I demand royalties. <laughs> 7% from both. All right. Well, we're going to take a break now and we're going to come back and we're going to unpack. There was a lot to unpack there because what is it when one company writes something, the other person copies it, and then a third company does a podcast radio show about Where it. Where I'm from, we call it biting. <laughs> All right, cool. We're going to come back in a bit. You're listening to the Not A Foodie Show at Teamy Alley, at Not A Foodie Show, at Mike Moranti. Mike Moranti. Be back in a minute. Hey, everyone. It's Tom from the Not A Foodie Show. Are you a small business looking to advertise to a food and restaurant-loving audience? The Not A Foodie Radio Show has advertising opportunities available that fit a range of budgets. For a free consultation or for more information, email info at notafoodie.com. That's info at notafoodie.com. Hey, Mike, where are we? We're in beautiful Greenpoint, Brooklyn at the BK Media Studio. The BK Media Studio is the home of the Not A Foodie podcast. It's so much better than my dining room table where we started this little venture. It has full video capabilities, full audio capabilities. If you're looking for a studio to record a podcast, to do an interview, to record a YouTube show, or anything, think of the BK Media Studio. The number is 917-300-9123. You could come in, take a tour, book a session tell them that the not a foodie show sent you and i'm sure we'll work out some sort of a discount bk media studio in the heart of greenpoint brooklyn right next to the g train brooklyn's most convenient studio and we are back with the not a foodie show on Radio Rampa, 620 AM, and on your podcast dial, wherever that is. Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Everywhere. Mainly Every- Spotify and iTunes, though, I think. Everywhere. Quality podcasts are found. Mike. Yes, sir. I've got, uh, this is not a food news segment. It's not another food news segment, but I was uh, perusing the internet as one does, and I came across this really um, sort of funny little article, and the headline and we talked about it a little bit in the last segment, but the headline made me think that this is a um, a piece that is biting off of the serious East pizza we, piece that we talked about last Which week. Which is just biting off of us from a yes, year and a half exactly. ago. exactly. So um, Eater did this um, sort of tongue-in-cheek article called 25 Blistering Food Takes to Set the Internet on Fire. So Serious Eats did uh, something, I guess, a couple weeks ago where they did an article with some really interesting takes on things where they had... You know, their social media editors explain why savory oatmeal is better than sweet oatmeal and that bananas should be eaten almost unripe and things like that. And right? how 90% of pizza would be better if it was Hawaiian pizza. Right. 
Right. So, and, and they were defended, right? Like all of these things were, it was a statement and then it was defended. So Eater comes back and I don't know if Eater directly, you know, is if sure. this is a response. So, but I, I haven't read it to you yet. So Eater came out in response, they say, to the article that came out this week that the Aperol Spritz is not a good drink. Yeah. Which, which set the internet on which fire. Which was also crazy because I said how I was going to drink an Aperol Spritz like days before the yeah. New, York, uh, New York Times you're, came you're out. You're a trendsetter. I'm, someone needs to just hire me as a trend. <laughs> Whatever, your, Claire's new job is like to set trends. That should be like my job That's too. your job? Your job is that job. You're doing that job now on this radio show. <laughs> Unpaid. Yeah. <laughs> um, job. So, so Eater decided that they were going to come up with 25 fresh headline ideas to get everyone arguing on Twitter. So these aren't defended or anything. It's just a list of 25 ideas that, that are ready to set the world on fire, okay. to set the internet on fire. All right, so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give you one of these and then you give me a sentence. Just okay. a sentence, it doesn't, you know, we're doing some free association here. Sure. Okay, ready? Yeah. Number one, brunch is the best meal actually. Of the week? Yes. All right, I agree. 100%. Yeah. Brunch is the best meal. Of the week. Not of the day. Not of the of day. The week. Of the week. Number two. Ask for ice in your water and I will ask you to leave my restaurant by Tom Kalikia. <laughs> yeah. A yeah? Per- a million percent. Why? Water's not supposed to be drank ice cold. What? Water is supposed to be drank however no, you no, want to drink it. it's supposed to be drank cold, oh, ice cold. Also, come on. Also, most places have like nice fancy water bottles. So if I have to get you ice, that means I have to go... Take your glass, bring it to the bar, put ice in it, and then bring the water. Oh, poor you! I'm yes. tipping you. You're you're working for I me know, for the evening. I'm gonna do it with a smile on. Yeah, but uh, what if, when I get like really warm water? No, no, no. That's not acceptable. It's not it acceptable. Just be cold. It so should, I yeah. will ask for water. I'll, I will ask for ice if I want ice. Okay. If my taste buds say that I need ice water, then I'm gonna ask for ice water. Next one. All right. Next one. Why I only tip the chef directly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, there you go. That's what I was waiting for. Oh my god, you just blew up these headphones. <laughs> Should we just move on? Yeah, no, that's that's hilarious. That's that's whoever wrote the A plus. <laughs> All right, number four, French onion is the horniest soup. Clam chowder. Oh, ugh. oh no! <laughs> mm. Uh, New no, England cream chowder. No, <laughs> no, that's not what they were going for. <laughs> you, oh. we're playing word association, right? All, all right. right, all right. <laughs> Number five, Chef Boyardee is a cop. No, no. <laughs> what? No, no, that's that's just not good. That's no, that's, that's not a bad, good one. That's like um trying to take like left Twitter and just <laughs> failing. Uh, I mean, these are articles that are designed to like make Twitter go crazy. Yeah, but it's just not. Everyone's no. just like, no, no. Okay. Okay, number six. The best cheeseburger has cheese outside the buns. That's dumb. No, uh, it's that, not. That Think is, about it. That is a like on top of the bun. No, I would. What I would do. This is what I would say. Are they like you like a fondue and you dip the burger Out, into outside the, the fondue? Bun? Yeah, I don't know. Best cheeseburger has cheese outside the buns. I don't even think in the cheeseburger. Um, I think the che- the meat is still the main component. If we want, if we want to talk about the anatomy of the cheeseburger, the cheese should like enhance the meat. It shouldn't be like all you taste. So, okay, no. all right. Um, what about quiche is actually a sandwich if you really think about it? It's not. It's a pie. It is a pie. Yeah, quiche is not a sandwich. No, you can, quiche be- in in college I talked about it in our textbook. It said pizza is an open face sandwich. Yeah, that makes sense. Scott was not happy when I told him <laughs> that. 
Shout out Scott Wiener, Scott's Pizza's Tours. Friend this of the, friend this of is the, the one, yeah, right? This is the one that I that I really love. Um, Detroit-style chicken teriyaki is the only good teriyaki. <laughs> <laughs> you know Detroit-style ch- chicken teriyaki, right? It's got no bun or no... It's got... got the, the t- chicken teriyaki comes up and caramelizes on the outside of the pan. It's uh. like a combination between New York-style teriyaki and Chicago teriyaki. <laughs> <laughs> you know, never put pineapple on it. <laughs> All right. Um, how about replace your tacos with salad? They're practically the same. That will set the internet on fire. Yeah, and the thing with that is, like, n- that would take over not food Twitter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, number ten. Why stew shouldn't be served hot? That makes me. That, I don't. I, that's there's, a disgusting. That's there is something disgusting. about that that just It'll really con- is unsettling. You've seen it, and it congeals, and it's a disgusting thing. It's just really yeah. unsettling to me. I don't know what it is. But. Just just have steak and gravy or something. Like there's better ways to do that. Um, number eleven. The orange slice is the best part of the diner omelet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, first of all, we. I don't in New York. In New Jersey, diners like that, very rarely do you get the orange slice. I feel like the orange slice is more I, of a... I was very confused what that meant. First yeah. I, I was like, huh? But Yeah, like, like I mean, when you go to pretty, pretty much any place like in California or you go down to Florida or wherever, someplace where oranges are, you know, a little bit more mm-hmm. prevalent, um, you always get an orange slice with your, like a really weird thin orange slice. Like, that, a, like an Aperol spritz slice? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that kind of an orange slice um, with your diner omelet. You're looking at me like I'm crazy. You don't. No, no, you, I, I'm look. I'm not looking at you like you're crazy. I just think the idea of like garnishing a food with a drink garnish is very strange. Yeah, that I'm. I'm like just thinking about like I have my omelet with a little bit of well, salad, I, and there's just like one sad. I don't know what it, it's not what like. It um, does. It's like, not why? like a soccer orange slice, right? Like no, 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 not like a you put it yeah, in your mouth like uh-huh. dying. In, you know, the Godfather dying in his yeah. garden with an orange slice in his mouth. It's not that kind of orange slice. Yeah, it is like a, a cocktail garnish. That's very strange. Usually, it's like the the disc, the small disc cocktail garnish mm-hmm. with the thing down the middle, with the slice down the middle, like halfway through. Yeah, and then they twist it to make uh, it yeah. look uh-huh. nice on the plate. No, it's I weird. don't know how that started. If anybody knows how the orange on the omelet or on the diner plate got started, like please let us know. At not a foodie show on Instagram or Twitter. Um, all right, number twelve. Lasagna is a book that you can't read. <laughs> sure, yeah, it, it has lots of layers and pages. Sure, well, it, it's deep yeah. and and salty. <laughs> um, <laughs> My uncle, he makes this dish. <laughs> all right, number thirteen. Please, for the love of God, don't mix your iced tea with lemonade. Oh, an anti-Arnold Palmer yeah. uh, piece. I would read it. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a big Arnold Palmer guy. You don't know that about me. I, um, I have to be in the mood for an Arnold Palmer, but I really like Arnold Palmer. Yeah, I, I, I usually go with uh, um more of I go with like a seventy thirty iced tea to lemonade. Yeah, yeah, because you just want a little. Sp- I'll never put sugar in my iced tea. No, I don't. But either, I will yeah. definitely put lemonade. Yeah, and then maybe a little bit of um, if I'm not putting vodka in it, uh, seltzer. And so I, it's like bubbly and sweet. And that, I like that. Yeah, I like that. I um, I, I have reactions like food reactions for certain things. Like if I smell wing sauce, my mouth starts watering, and I want chicken wings. So like you're Pavloved. Just, yes, I am totally Pavloved with certain things. Mm-hmm. The other day, I realized that I'm Pavloved with an Arnold Palmer. I was watching a show, and they're they're sitting around outside on at a beach cafe eating burgers and. One of the characters had an iced tea, and one of the characters had a lemonade, and I was like, I really want an Arnold Palmer right now. 
They're very thirst quenching. They're good. They are. I like, and you know, I I play golf sometimes. And after golf, I love my own or while I'm playing golf, I love my Arnie. Yeah. If someone just went out and wrote a piece about like tearing up, tearing up the Arnold Palmer, I would read it just to see how they're so, just to see why they have that take. Yeah. Well, and, and obviously (laughs) these are just headlines. Yeah. Um, you know what they call an Arnold Palmer with vodka in it, right? Uh, John Daly. John Daly. Yes. And only golf fans get that joke, but it is what it is. Um, let's see. Buttering bread is B-A-S-I-C, basic. Yeah, that's a hard yes. I my, my least favorite thing is when I work at a place with, like, nice olive oil and you ask me for butter. Hmm. I, yeah, but I, I, I also like good butter. Like, good yeah, butter. Yeah, but restaurants don't have good butter. Some restaurants have good butter. French restaurants. French restaurants. Yeah. Okay, yeah. but if you're in a French restaurant, then they're probably going to give you butter instead of a olive good oil. oil. Yeah. Right, all right. Okay. Um, this is really funny because I was just talking about this the other night. Canapes should be full sandwiches. Mm. So I was at an event on Monday night where Mm. they were like little past hors d'oeuvres, right? And have you ever seen the movie Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield? No. Okay, so it's a- Shout out Rodney Dangerfield, rest in peace, Kew Gardens legend. Yes, Queens, New York. Mm. Um, gets no respect. (laughs) But the opening scene, so the, the, you know, he- Rodney Dangerfield in the movie Back to School goes, he gets a divorce and he goes back to college. It's his one regret. He like was this, he's this big, um, he owns a bunch of uh, tall and fat uh, suit stores and he is a millionaire and then, he, but his one regret is that he never went, never finished college. So he goes back and moves in with his son at college and it's just basically Rodney Dangerfield doing frat party stuff, right? But the opening scene is he's at a fancy party. He's currently married. He's at a fancy pool party that his wife is throwing. And he's like, Queens guy, you know? Like, hey, oh, what's going on? And so there are all these past hors d'oeuvres. And what he does is he runs into the kitchen, grabs a loaf of bread, slices it open, and then scoops out the inside of it, and then just dumps a tray of canapes <laughs> into the bread, closes it, <laughs> slices it in half, and eats it as a sandwich. And <laughs> that's a power move. <laughs> and I was just explaining this to somebody the other night when we were at a party. So this is a, there's nothing, there's no point to that story except that I love talking about Ronnie Dangerfield. If someone movies. was going to give me a canopy sandwich, I'd try it. Yeah, totally. But the idea of like, pastor derbs exists for a reason. Like that's, <laughs> that's a thing. No one's like wanting to be at a fancy dinner party eating like a chicken parm in one hand with like a glass of champagne in the other hand. It's right. Not... Well, that's why they invented sliders. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, all right, some of these are really just lame. Um, sorry, it's either not. <laughs> I mean, you know, sorry, you Greg. Just do like sorry, Greg Moravito. Greg, this is this is a great listicle here. I love this. We're having so much fun with it. Um, some of these are not worth more than a, some of these are designed just to read and chuckle at. Like froyo is the one true Thanksgiving food. No, no, those are just words. Yes, um, that's seven, like a BuzzFeed article. Number seventeen. Why Dave and Buster's should nix the arcade games. <laughs> just become fine dining, I guess. <laughs> I mean, there's bowling, right? There's it should I, just be a bowling alley. It, it's just a place where people go get drunk and play games, right? Yeah. Oh, so yeah, that, yeah. that is a bowling alley. Yep, pretty much. All right. Um, oh, newsflash, spaghetti is canceled. Oh, I oh. There's words. Those are words. I would become famous if someone put that article out. Yeah. <laughs> you you would. Know, I would. You would. Maybe I'll write it anonymously <laughs> and then you and I can get into a fake Twitter <laughs> yeah. war. Burner account. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, all right. Number 19. Curly fries could be curlier, to be honest. Facts. Yeah. I, no, they should all be the, the ones that are like tight, super. Tight curls? 
when they're like cylinder, not cylinders. Um, yeah, like a yeah. like a spring, like a yeah, slinky. spring. That's the word I'm like. Yeah. They should all be like that. Okay, number twenty. Forks are for nerds. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I am Team Spork all the way. Like, <laughs> I just eat with my hands. <laughs> all right, number twenty. Nobody actually likes margaritas. Um, I'm gonna say nobody likes. Uh, I'm gonna say a lot of margaritas are bad, and it, there's only one type of margarita that I like. Are you saying that there is a little bit of truth to this uh, tongue-in-cheek little you, article? If you like, um, like margarita mixed margaritas, you're wrong. Uh huh. And a margarita should only be tequila, lime, and agave. All right. Um, no triple sec, no cointreau, no grand marnier. Just tequila, lime, and agave, and blanco tequila, like Espolón <laughs> or Don Julio. All right. So this one I'm just gonna skip over because it says pizza. No thanks. That's obviously designed purely to set the internet on fire. Um, 23, save the rainforest cafe. <laughs> I yeah. read an article that the rainforest cafe is coming back. It's making a comeback. I mean, make, try it, make your money. You know me. I, I'm all about people making their money. I'll never, even if I think something's bad, like the ramen burger, people line up for it. Make your money. That's it. Except when it comes to putting ice in water. You're, you're up for everyone to do whatever they want, except when it comes to putting ice in yes. water or, or cheese on pasta dishes that have seafood. No, I'm not. And I re-listened to that segment. Uh-huh. Uh, a puttanesca, like, the, the seafood's, like, more, like, it, you're pounding the anchovies out. They're not, like, pieces of anchovies floating in there. Yeah, but so... I put tuna in it. I put I put chunks of food. Oh, gross. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, all right, here we go. Number 24. Put ketchup in your potato salad. My dad would put ketchup oh, in his no. mashed potatoes. Oh, in his mashed potatoes? Yeah. I mean, I would never put it in mashed potatoes. I I put it on hash browns. Yeah, the hash browns are just French fries. They're French fries. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I also I don't it's know. It's mixing you know ketchup and mayo. I'm, I'm big on ketchup. Are you? I'm a big ketchup guy. Yeah. I'm French I did fries not know and stuff. And French fries and burgers. I mean, I've watched you eat a burger and I've watched you eat many French fries. Yeah, and... I'm a big ketchup guy. Yeah? Mm-hmm. yeah. All right. Well, so we should try this one then. Let's put ketchup in. Uh, I I am. You know what? This is this is a gauntlet thrown right here. Put ketchup on your potato salad in your potato salad. Mm-hmm. I might I might come sure. up with a recipe that so, uh, that does this. So mac sauce is just ketchup, mayo, and relish, and a little bit of vinegar. Yeah, that's so, what I was thinking. I yeah. was thinking I, when if I was a kid, make, I used to mix ketchup and mayo all together. If you make yeah, oh a ketchup aioli. <laughs> <laughs> if you make mac sauce potato salad, it'll taste good. Yeah. So yeah, that that's actually true. He thinks that's a joke. That's true. I'm gonna I, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna do it. Um, number twenty five, the last one. Um, tapas are too big <laughs> for, for their for their to... britches. Like, I don't, what do you mean? Like, that's a good one to end the article on. <laughs> tapas are too big. Um, in college, we spoke to this restaurant tour, and this was in you know like 2012, 2013. Uh-huh. And he thought that like the tapas thing was over. He's like, I just don't see it as like a viable thing. Really? Yeah, and I was like, "Why?" He's like, "I just don't." I oh was like, man, it's so. It's, and I was like, "You are incredibly wrong." It's a genius business model, <laughs> really. <laughs> well, I mean, this this is really great. And again, none of this is us. This is all Greg Morabito from from Eater, who, um, if you don't, they he he does a really great podcast too. He does the Eater podcast, and um, he's just a great writer over at Eater, sir. So. Um, you know, Eater, don't sue us for, for taking no, your content. Should, but I'm this gonna, is great. Uh, you, we'll post this and at him and let him know what we think. Yeah, because this is this is really fun. Um anyway. Mike, any any final yeah, thoughts? DM you wanna... us your food takes. Yeah. If you have an actual one or like a silly one that you want us to talk about, as long as it's like somewhat viable, 
Let us know. Give me give me your greatest um set the internet on fire food take. That doesn't have to be true. No, um Oh, come on. You got it. Tuna fish is the most disgusting thing in the world. Okay. But you you you've said you've said that. Yeah, this is the truth. Yeah, that's the truth. Let's see. Oh, I don't know. Um how about 95% of Americans don't know how to barbecue correctly. Don't know how to grill correctly. Yeah, that, that's fair. You think that's fair? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Those were not very good set the internet on fire food takes, but, you know, we'll end on that. We'll end on that down note. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Not Funny Show. We'll uh, be back in a minute, right? <laughs> actually, I think there's, um, there's not enough crawfish boils. There's not enough crawfish boils. Well, crawfish are only like located in a very specific area. So no, it's but you hard. can get them anywhere. You can get them shipped. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's expensive. That's, okay. All right. Good. Well, we'll end on that one then. <laughs> we can bring it up. <laughs> this is the Not a Foodie Show. We'll be back in a minute. We've got guests. We've got other things happening. Stick around. Hey everyone, it's Tom from the Not a Foodie Show. Are you a small business looking to advertise to a food and restaurant loving audience? The Not A Foodie radio show has advertising opportunities available that fit a range of budgets. For a free consultation or for more information, email info at notafoodie.com. That's info at notafoodie.com. Hey, Mike, where are we? We're in beautiful Greenpoint, Brooklyn at the BK Media Studio. The BK Media Studio is the home of the Not A Foodie podcast. It's so much better than my dining room table where we started this little adventure. It has full video capabilities, full audio capabilities. If you're looking for a studio to record a podcast, to do an interview, to record a YouTube show, or anything, think of the BK Media Studio. The number is 917-300-9123. You can come in, take a tour, book a session tell them that the not a foodie show sent you and i'm sure we'll work out some sort of a discount bk media studio in the heart of greenpoint brooklyn right next to the g train brooklyn's most convenient studio and we are back with the not a foodie show on 620 a.m radio rampa I am Tom Miali, and with me as always is Mike Moranti. Hey, and uh, we have a very special guest. We've got a guest. Uh, Mr. Chris Sapphire of the Little Bean Coffee Shop. Hey, Chris. Or Little Bean Coffee, I guess. Little Bean Coffee. Uh, Chris is my guy, my barista. I see him between three and seven times a week, depending on the week. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to the studio. Thanks, to com- thanks for coming uh, all the way to Brooklyn. Thank you for having me. This is fun. <laughs> So, Mike, for, for those of you who listen to the show, um, and for those of you who don't listen, to, who haven't listened before, Mike it lives in Harlem, and Little Bean is, what, Central Park North? Is that where yeah. it yep. is? right on so, the top of the park. Right on the top of the park, up in Harlem. Right around the corner from my apartment. Okay, cool. So, I, Chris, um, tell us a little, bit, a little bit about Little Bean and what, you know, how you started and why coffee. Yeah, cool. Um, I started in coffee in, like, 2007. Wow. Um, and I uh, started out in LA and I was just like as a barista, basically it was my first kind of um, job out of college. Once I moved to LA, I needed something. So I just started. Did you move to LA to become an actor? I did. I went to school for acting and I went to school for writing. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of got into the 
um, barista job because it was like good hours and, you know, something I thought I could enjoy. And I actually really started to love like um, the, fr the fr my first love of coffee was really the community aspect where like you got to kind of interact with people and, you know, um, play with drinks and play with different kind of things and then just kind of like learn about people by what drinks they like. And yeah, I really I mean, wasn't into coffee at all in the beginning. It just kind of was like more the the aspect of community. It's, and, it's being a bartender, but in the morning, right? I, Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. I tell people I'm closer with my baristas than any bartender. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I, that's because you don't really have a local that you go to all the time. And I'm working most nights. I'm like a yeah, no. afternoon guy, and at nights I'm a, a job. I would definitely say <clears throat> that my bartender knows me better in general because I spend more time at a bar, but my barista in the morning knows one particular part of my life extremely well. <laughs> <laughs> like, I wake up, I drop my kids off, I get my coffee, and knows how my coffee is made, and that's it. So when you were in L.A., um, were you working at, like, a big chain, or was it a nope. small little, like, community coffee yeah, shop? Yeah, it was a small uh, family-owned coffee, coffee shop, much kind of like what we're doing now. Um, and um, it wasn't, I would... It was not specialty coffee. Specialty coffee was really kind of just burgeoning at that mm -hmm. point. Um, so it was just like espressos, cappuccinos, lattes. Right. It was like old school European style cappuccinos and lattes. Um, no pumpkin spice. They they did have a lot of flavors, actually. They did a bunch of flavors and things like that. But it was like, um, it wasn't third wave espresso preparation. It wasn't like microfoam with the milk. We weren't doing latte art. This was like a very kind of old world yeah. uh, Italian preparation cool. of, of a lot of I this stuff. I keep thinking of uh, Frasier. Like, the did, did, did yeah. anybody watch Frasier? You guys watch Frasier. Yeah. yeah. Like that coffee shop is very European, very like espressos, cappuccinos, lattes. Yeah, you know. for sure. And and they used, you know, beans, basically like ro French roast, dark roast beans, you know, that didn't come, that came from Lavazza or like, right. you know, one of these companies overseas and things like that. So it wasn't, it was... Very much like an intro to the cafe culture more than it was the, an intro to like specialty coffee. Mm -hmm. And then in about 2009 or 2010, I started working for um, a company called Gelato Bar, um, which was an Italian espresso and gelato and gelateria. Mm -hmm. And um, and that was was that uh, did they have locations in the U.S. or? Yeah, they like... they had two locations in Los Angeles. In Los Angeles. Yep. And um, it was um, owned by the Silverton family, which is a famous restaurant family in L.A. Yeah. Um, Nancy oh, yeah. Silverton course, Nancy, started yeah. Mozza Pizzeria and, and things like that. And um, so basically that was like a fun little way of feeling like they were in Italy. They had like their gelato was all all the ingredients was brought from Italy. And, oh, wow. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a very authentic kind of. Italian gelateria, but the different, the main difference was that they were doing specialty coffee. They were doing third wave coffee. Um, so what, what is third wave coffee? Like yeah. Um, so third wave is basically like the world of coffee post Starbucks. So in the nineties, you know, that Starbucks was this dark roast, you know, everything was about this right. like dark coffees that mm -hmm. were coming through and burnt. And, Burnt, as yeah. far as, as I, yeah. Yeah, my taste buds go, I'm not yeah. a Starbucks fan, but yeah. right, many people like it, um, but it it definitely is over roasted for, in my opinion, Mine too, to yeah. the yeah to the point where you taste the carbon, yeah, um, Tom, and that you don't taste the berry, 
and right. anymore. Did you know the lighter the roast, the more caffeine? I did know that. Yeah. I did know that. That's my favorite thing. Yeah. Except Why is that? Is it just the, the roasting process takes out some Exactly. Of the yeah. The longer the roast is, the more caffeine is actually like burnt seeps off. out or burnt yeah. off. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so these oils that exist inside the coffee bean get brought to the outside. And that's when you, why you see on really dark roasts, the outsides are so oily and um, they look wet yeah. almost. Mm. Um, that's because there's no moisture inside the bean anymore. And it's dried and it's cracked and it's burnt. Wow. Okay. Um, so specialty third wave coffee, third wave coffee um, came through and said, no, 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 you're over roasting this. Leave those moistures in the bean. Let's get let's get. Um, the real fruit notes of these beans that exist in them naturally, let's not burn them out. Mm -hmm. um, it was uh, really started in Australia, the, the, that style. Yeah. Um, and then they came through with their milk preparation, which was microfoam. The microfoam. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the flat whites. Yeah, exactly, flat whites. Um, that, you, that was, uh, you know what a flat white is. I actually asked Chris what a flat white was like a couple of months ago because oh, yeah? people kept ordering them from me, and I was like, uh... yeah. There's there's actually a really interesting conversation to be had about flat white um, and what it means. Um, I think there's a misconception in the U.S. especially about what exactly constitutes a flat white. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of people think it's like a six ounce drink, and it's served, you know, in a certain you know, size basically, uh -huh. but to be a flat white is actually a style of steaming milk. Yeah, it's the microfoamed milk, right? And exactly, and that the milk it... lays flat across the top. Yes, as okay. opposed to fluffy and yeah, bubbly. And that was something. So I have a, a lot of friends uh, in Australia. I've been, uh, I've been once. I'm going back actually in a couple of months. Um, and I have friends that come here and visit, and that's the thing that for years th that they hated coming to the United States because they could never get a flat white mm. anywhere. And then maybe... Send them to the little bean. Well, I guess like two <laughs> years ago, everyone started... Flat white became the thing in the coffee world. Like it just... It, it exploded all over the world, right? It's... It, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say. So it, it's... It, you know, you start seeing it pop up and now they complain that they can't get a decent flat white. They can get a flat white, but it's just not a decent flat white. So I'm taking them to the little bean next time. Yeah, absolutely. Take them, <laughs> take them to me. I'm under the impression that about 90% of Americans don't know the difference between a cappuccino or a latte. Yeah, I would... I would definitely say that, or or they want a cappuccino at dessert, you know, or it's coffee culture is is definitely weird. There are rules that are followed, and um, Americans sort of because we're Americans, we do what we want, and we'll drink cappuccino whenever we want, or su substitute a cappuccino for a latte, or you know, not really know what we think. Want. They're interchangeable. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. synonymous. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think the thing about third wave is that it kind of takes all of those rules off the table and just says there is one way of preparing milk now. You know, in this third wave, everything is a flat white. Whether I make it a three-ounce flat white, a five-ounce flat white, a six-ounce, eight-ounce, all of those drinks have different names, mm -hmm. but they are all flat whites. Really? Right. Okay. So I can make a flat white in any size because it's a preparation of the milk. Right. Okay. Right. So... Then you get into the question of what in this shop, what do you call your cappuccino? What right. do you call your latte? And in the specialty coffee world, it's really about a double shot espresso and then how much milk you want. So like at Little Bean, 
our cappuccino is eight ounces. Our latte is 12 ounces. Mm-hmm. So the only, and then we have something called a cortado, which is five ounces. It's right. a short latte, also called a piccolo latte in lots of places around the world. Um, but really, the names are only there to determine how much milk you want with your double shot espresso. Gotcha. Yeah, so single shots are kind of a thing of the past. This traditional seven-gram espresso is kind of a thing of the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're really pulling all double-shot ristretto right. espressos. And ristretto means short, restri- shorter, shorter restricted. Yeah. yeah. I asked Chris for a double-shot espresso. He's like, all of our espressos are double-shots. Do you want two of them? I was yeah. like... No, what? <laughs> I guess a regular espresso. The, the quad shot espresso has its place in the world for oh, sure. People uh, have them all the time. Yeah. But you do have to kind of have that conversation. And especially being at the top of Central Park, we have a lot of people from all over the world who mm-hmm. come through. So everybody needs to have their own kind of conversation about what the drink is that they want and how they can receive it. Right. And usually it's about showing them the glass and being like, why don't you just point to one of these and we'll get you the drink that you want? Because we'll, it's all we'll, about we'll, the double espresso and milk. Right. And we'll put the appropriate ratio of whatever right, in right. there for you. They also do three different single origin pour overs. Well, mm-hmm. let's let's go back and let's talk about. So, you know, we got to L.A. talking about oh, sure, yeah. coffee. So that was. Yeah, right. So little. Um, so the espresso bar was my first foray into like specialty coffee. That was the first time I learned about third wave coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, and right around, um, yeah, in 2010, we were actually put on the top five cafes in Los Angeles. Um, and it was like this tiny little gelato shop, which was amazing. Um, and then I did some training at Verve Coffee, which is up in Santa Cruz. They're oh, one yeah. Of famous, one, one of my favorite roasters in the whole country. Um, they really do some fantastic stuff. Um, and then, yeah, I was with the gelato bar until I left L.A., um, and when I left LA, I came to New York and I got a, a GM position with a, with a company here, um, that wasn't necessarily focused on the coffee. Um, and I, I spent the, as much time as I needed to in order to get my feet on the ground here in New York. Right. Um, and then I moved to the next company and, uh, at the next company I was at, um, it was, a specialty coffee back into the specialty coffee world. And they were like a pretty rapidly growing um, chain okay. of coffee of specialty coffee shops here in the city, um, and I what you're seeing a lot of like you you mm-hmm. saw a lot of over the past maybe five years yeah. of all of these little specialty roasters and little chains that are popping mm-hmm. up and you know I'm not gonna name names but there's just a bunch of them yeah. that are popping up all over the place where we are you can't throw a a pebble without hitting a new coffee shop you're talking about in Harlem South Harlem specifically yeah. it's 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 oversaturated already. But, I mean, obviously, <laughs> yeah, we were the first. Still, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, I was just going to say, and you're Starbucks? successful because you're still here. Starbucks we're, at 125? On, no, 118th? On Frederick Douglass? 117th? Um, no, they were there. Yeah. Yeah, they were there. But, again, Starbucks doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't count. It's just a question. Yeah, it's now a totally different the local world. Harlem part yeah. of, the, uh, of the podcast. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, so I was with that company for um, a number of years, and they grew very quickly. Um, and, yeah, left that company basically because it was getting to this point where they were becoming more and more corporate. They were expanding quickly, mm-hmm. much harder to control um, the quality of the product that's coming through and turning 
far more into the chain mentality than I was really interested in being. Gotcha. And again, coming back to this world where I really enjoy the conversation and the interaction, um, you know, I was get to the point where I was GM of three locations. I was the trainer for all the people that came through. I was setting recipes across the entire con the entire company. Um, so <clears throat> really just wasn't getting time to like spend behind the machine right. making drinks and talking to people. And so my wife and I decided to try to open up our own spot. There was no, at the time, there was no specialty coffee in our entire neighborhood. Um, you had to go two avenues in either direction to, to hit one. And that's basically yeah. like another state. In New York terms, yeah. that's another <laughs> yeah. state. Yeah, yeah you had to New like York City walk terms. to New Jersey, yeah. basically, to get, to get a... <laughs> Going a, streets is easy. Going avenues is a commitment yeah, when, you're in, right. when you're in New York. Right. Um, so, so what year was this that you decided to open up Little Bean? We opened in 2016. Okay. 2016. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. So you've been, been around for a while and, but you don't, you don't, you're not a roaster. You don't roast your own beans. We don't roast our own beans. We use, um, a small batch roaster called Red House Roasters, um, which is in Union City, New Jersey. Okay. Um, and he does fantastic work. Um, and he, it comes right off, right over the river. So, I mean, it's day day it's roasted it's it's brought to us by the end of the day wow um so so it, how much control do you have or in in that whole supply chain like or do you do you or not control but input do you talk to him about what kind of roasts you want or of course yeah yeah, yeah. so he has a wide variety of beans that he mm -hmm. sources from all over the world um and basically when i opened up the shop i came to him and said you know show me what you have and we put together uh, our house blend um which yeah it's like uh it's mainly honduras it's a it's a mm -hmm. lot a lot of beans from honduras um we have some brazil in there and for a house blend you kind of want those south american chocolatey nutty easy to handle easy to take they can hold withhold gotcha. some milk in them you know that's what to me is a good new york house blend it's it's bold it's it's a Vienna roast, which is technically like a little bit darker than a medium. Okay. Um, and it also has the, the, the signature touch I think that Little Bean has is this um, Indonesian bean from Bali, which is um, one of my favorite beans I've ever found. It, it tastes like blueberries. Oh, wow. Uh, like fresh blueberries. So along in those chocolate and caramel notes of those South American blend, we have 10% of this blue Right. This Bali. Well, and I think that's the big difference for people who, um, uh, for people who are not coffee drinkers or who, who people who are like little roach carts, co you know, coffee in the morning, they get their morning bagel and coffee and they don't really think about it. Like it's that fruit taste. Like mm -hmm. it's a bean. It's, it's fruit. It's a, it's a fruity Cherry, yeah. flavored. It's a, yeah. yeah. It's like, uh, so it, uh, I, that is the first time that I had coffee that I could taste that it was coffee that it was a bean that it was something that it was fruity was that moment of like okay i understand what why people go crazy over coffee and coffee preparation um it's something when i you know i grew up with coffee coffee preparation being like i need something quick i need like you know my, my regular percolator yeah percolator <laughs> on the street card i get my coffee yeah. regular milk and sugar you know and that's and then i run run away mm -hmm. like and sip it on the way to the office or whatever or on the way to, to class mm. um this is this is different. I mean, what you're doing is you're yeah. you're trying to extract all of that flavor. You're, first of all, you're trying to create a flavor profile 
by sourcing different beans from all over the place, a very distinct flavor profile. And then with the brewing process, whatever you're doing, whether it's a cold brew, whether you know, you're doing pour over, whatever it is, you're trying to extract all of those flavors and really make that something you know special. Right? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think it's medicinal for some people, which is, I think, what you're describing, the kind yes. of like, it's, <laughs> it just has to happen. I don't care how it gets into me. You know, but life's too short for that, in my opinion. I'm sure you guys agree. It's yes. that's not why a I foodie. Drink cold brew, though, because yeah. <laughs> it gets me the caffeine the quickest. Oh, uh, I don't oh, know. Yeah. It okay. depends. No, yeah. it, it's also delicious. Like it, it affects people differently. My dog walks into Little Bean before I do. When we're when we're cross <laughs> when we're going by, he's like ready. He knows like we stop in there, we get a coffee, and then we go for our walk. See, for me, cold brew is a much slower process actually i i'm an espresso drinker so i'm like pow blast the back of my head open yeah. kind of you know um but it, it varies for for everybody for sure i'm the same way i mean in the morning first thing in the morning i make myself a shot and you know i just down that and then i can then i have enough energy and enough you know sort of wherewithal to get to the coffee shop to get a cold brew yeah but i need that espresso at you know as before i walk out the door just yeah. to sort of get me going but kind of going back to what you were talking about, I, th I mean, it's a culinary art. It so, is. Oh, a I mean, million percent. Yeah, so you can have a hamburger from anywhere, right? But it's, right. you know, to have an umami burger is something different, right? It, I mean, it's... So uh, the more people can kind of focus on, like, how I'm, you know, how I'm spending my money, how I'm spending my morning, you know, the ritual of having something that actually feeds you in, in an artistic sense... I think is something that is that people overlook in in coffee. It's just kind of like if you're just drinking it the same way you you know chug a glass of water because you know your body needs it. There's no enjoyment in it. And if we enjoy the process of brewing it um, and crafting it, then it's I think easier for people to enjoy it. Well said. Yeah. Day. No, that's the and that really. I mean, you just sum. I didn't know that I felt that way before, but you summed up how I feel about coffee. Right? Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's. There are parts, there are times when it needs to be medicinal for me, but then there mm -hmm. are times when it's ritual. And I was thinking just the other day, you know, I, it was a mid-afternoon coffee and I made myself um, just a, a, a couple shots of espresso with some steamed milk. And that was my like, okay, I'm going to relax for 20 minutes. I'm going to sit down yeah. and I'm going to listen to some <laughs> music and I'm going to, you know, walk away from my computer and do that. Um, I, I drink my coffee black, either black or black with ice cubes. Mm -hmm. But there's a very beautiful thing about a cappuccino. And like if I'm having a cappuccino, it's like I'm I'm having you're this having cappuccino. Your cappuccino. Like, this is like it's cappuccino time. It's yeah. not like mm -hmm. do something and drink a cappuccino. It's like it's like putting on like a like doing a face mask or something. I, no, like, I hear you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we didn't even talk about we're we're at we're like twenty minutes we've no been way. talking. Yeah. Oh, wow. So <laughs> We, we do need to take a break. We didn't even talk about cold brew or anything like that. We, we don't have much time left on the show, but um, can you stick around for a little bit? Of course. We'll, yeah. we'll, talk, uh, we'll talk when this is all over. All Perfect. right. Great. This is the Not A Foodie Show on 620 AM Radio Rampa and on your podcast dial. We'll be back in a minute. 
Hey, Mike, where are we? We're in beautiful Greenpoint, Brooklyn at the BK Media Studio. The BK Media Studio is the home of the Not A Foodie podcast. It's so much better than my dining room table where we started this little adventure. It has full video capabilities, full audio capabilities. If you're looking for a studio to record a podcast, to do an interview, to record a YouTube show, or anything, think of the BK Media Studio. The number is 917-300-9123. You can come in, take a tour, book a session, tell them that the Not A Foodie Show sent you, and I'm sure we'll work out some sort of a discount. BK Media Studio in the heart of Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Right next to the G train. Brooklyn's most convenient studio. And we are back with the Not A Foodie Show, Radio Rampa, 620 AM, and wherever quality podcasts are found. At Not A Foodie Show, what's the Little Beans Instagram? At Little Bean Coffee NYC. At Little Bean Coffee NYC. So check them out. Who was that third voice on the radio? Chris Sapphire, <laughs> owner, proprietor, best barista in the city. Uh, owner, proprietor of? of? The Little Bean and the best barista <laughs> in the city. In, up in Harlem. Yes. <laughs> um, so this is our, our final segment. Usually what we do for this final segment is we, it's called What Are You Drinking Tonight? And we talk about different cocktails. Um, but instead of that... <laughs> I think we could do both. We could do both. All yeah. right. Well, Chris bought um, this really award-winning, award-winning cold brew, the Harlem Sapphire. Harlem Sapphire, it's called. Yeah. All right. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? And I'm so, gonna, I'm gonna sip it. I've been sitting here staring at it. I'm gonna take a sip while you talk. Yes, absolutely. So the Harlem Sapphire is a triple strength, single origin cold brew. So it's it's made from an Ethiopian Yergachev. It is brewed triple strength and served with no ice. So basically we call it like the brandy of cold brew. Oh my God, this is delicious. It's, um, Thank you. I'm giving you the rest of it because I can go get it whenever I want. It's really <laughs> fruity. It's really flavorful. It's not bitter at all. I mean, it, it's got, well, I mean, it's, like got, a dark it's got a very bitterness, not smooth, like a burnt bitterness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a, there's just the right amount of bitterness and it's really smooth. It, I mean, it, I, I, it might just be the, the flavor, but it almost looks like syrup. Like I, like, I feel like it's thicker than regular coffee. Totally. And and oh, so sure. like basically I'm an espresso drinker. Mm-hmm. I like small amounts of liquid with lots of power. Um, but cold brew, there was nothing really in this vein for that style of drinker. I can't drink 20 ounces of anything. So I'm not going to go drink a, tw- a 20 ounce cold brew. Mm-hmm. I want something small that really packs a punch. Um, and so I designed this drink to kind of be the cold brew for espresso drinkers. It's it it is very dark. It's very it's very um strong it should kick you in the mouth a little bit but it's also kind of has a pleasant mouthfeel almost like a i was going for like a blueberry wine yeah like oh, wow. coffee wine it definitely has berries I, I mean that's the first thing that you take taste and then on the back it's it's chocolatey it's chocolatey a little hazelnutty maybe um I'm, you know it's chocolate and nutty on the back end and fruit very fruit forward um, I feel like I'm drinking a brandy, like a very exactly. Fine, like, that's the idea. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. And, it, and you guys are having it um, almost close to room temperature, which is yeah. actually like a little bit cooler than room temp is actually where I would suggest serving it. Um, it kind of brings out a lot of those kind of, and I use this word in a good way, like sour, funky mm-hmm. yeah. notes. Yeah, um, it's a natural process bean, so it should have a little bit of funk to it, which is like my favorite thing. And and basically, this is I think a new way of, um, it's like a new movement in, in cold brew is to almost like a sour beer, you know, how like beers are being brewed sour, um, getting those positive sour 
notes to come from these berries and and the um the coffee beans themselves and it's yeah i hope to this is a new category you have to have customers that get this every day right yeah like i do this is like their drink mm-hmm. yeah i've gotten it once or twice i usually get the the regular tier cold brew uh because it's nice to walk my dog this is more like a sit down and like i mean this is yourself. this is great this is i mean i i'm gonna make a trip every morning now from <laughs> queens up to harlem to get yeah. a shot of this awesome <laughs> <laughs> it's no it's it's very different and like it's i mean it's coffee but it's and it's very different in a really really great way like i've never tasted anything thank anything you like yeah it before. I'm, I'm really proud of this process yeah it's really really great and to segue a little bit into what you were talking about before it pairs fantastically with a dark spiced rum i was just thinking <laughs> I, I honestly i was just thinking what would i make this without you know like what kind of alcohol can i add to this like vanilla vodka <laughs> kalua yeah a, a deep dark spiced rum yeah, a, that has a little bit of syrup, that syrupy sweetness. Yeah, um, like a kraken, or yeah, like a gosling. Like those spice rums. Gosling mm-hmm. is my favorite spice rum. I just had this, and I'm not gonna remember the name of it, but I just had this Filipino uh, dark rum um, that I'm gonna look up. And Mike, I'll send it to you. You can put it in the show notes. But I think that that would like pair perfectly with it because it had some of the similar notes, but it also had this like really um, almost like banana. Oh, like flavor on yeah. the back end, and I think that that would like pair perfectly with this. Sounds good. So, well, so that's what I'm drinking tonight. So, segue. <laughs> so we do a, uh, a segment, segue into a segment called "What Are We Drinking?" And uh, it's just what cocktail are you going to have tonight? There is a rule; it can't be a Negroni. Okay, that's it. <laughs> okay, I break that rule nearly every week with some <clears throat> variation on a Negroni. I break all the rules, but yeah. Cool. <laughs> so my drink this week is an Old Pal. You did that already. Did you? I really? I think you did like on the oh, first episode. I walked out of a bar because I wanted an Old Pal, and they didn't have Campari and they... uh, last week. <laughs> so what's an Old Pal? It's bourbon, Campari, and dry vermouth. Okay, it's delicious with the orange peel. It's nice. almost a. Boulevardier. It's a Boulevardier. It's a Boulevardier yeah. Pl- riff. Yeah, so it's almost like a perfect, less than perfect Boulevardier. I don't know. <laughs> Chris, are you uh, are you a, an alcohol drinker? I am. Yeah, fantastic. Um, yeah, I think tonight I've I've been working on um, this like Asian steak dish mm-hmm. um, that uses fresh ginger, and so I've been taking some of that ginger and and just steeping it and and keeping it like and turning it into a syrup, and I've been doing like bourbon. Um, ginger syrup and um, like peeled orange, like orange peel, oh, yeah. orange zest. Um, so like a ginger old fashioned almost. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what you'd call it, but it's yeah, it's like an old fashioned beginning. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't add sugar to it. I'm not like a real, um, like a sugar cube. Um, but yeah, the ginger syrup um, can have a slight bit of sweetness mm-hmm. to it. The orange peel has a little bit of sweetness, and bourbon obviously has some natural sweetness. Is there sugar it. in the ginger syrup? Is it no, I syrup just, with ginger? Or I, is it... that, that one for me at home, I keep it just straight spice. Oh, wow. Yeah, straight heat. Very yeah. cool. I'm, nice. I'm a big fan of the, uh, the like heavy-duty ginger where you're like using the big chunks and really mashing them up so you get that bite from or the like ginger. A, like a good penicillin. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. No, that's that's exactly it. You can well, juice the ginger to make a penicillin with, and that's like I ooh, know I oof. I found that out at a at end of the century bar. Oh, they were end of the century it? bar, R. which is R I P. No longer around. It was a a Ramones themed bar in Forest Hills. A tiki tiki, a tiki Ramones, tiki, tiki oh, Ramones wow. themed bar in Forest Hills that had 
Um, they had a juicer in the back that was just for juicing ginger. Oh, cool. Like they didn't use it. And because once you juice ginger it's in a juicer, that juicer is a ginger juicer. <laughs> There right. we go. <laughs> I'm glad I had Say coffee. That 10 to help times me. Fast. <laughs> the coffee made me jittery when I'm talking about juicing ginger. On jittery, that note, jitterly juicing ginger. Gingerly well, juicing ginger. Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, I think that's I think that's about it for uh, for our show. So, Chris, thanks for coming. This was this was awesome. It was educational, and I got to drink coffee that I've never. I've never had before. Like, I've been telling uh, Tom about your place for a while now, so I'm glad awesome. you guys try something. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks for having me. This was fun. This Great. All right, this is the Not A Foodie Show. Follow us at Not A Foodie Show so. on Twitter and Instagram. At Not A Foodie Show on Twitter and Instagram, yes. It's uh, coffee. It's not booze. I know, but I'm like, I'm, I'm, my mind is blown <laughs> I'm from saying it creeps up on you. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. We'll be back next week. See you next week. Thank you.